everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is Sasha Podolsky. I'm the Advocacy Director for AASA, and you are listening to the Pep Talk Podcast, a new way for AASA members to stay engaged with our policy and advocacy work. If it's your first time tuning in, thank you for joining us. Here at Pep Talk, we cover all things that could be remotely labeled as Ed Policy. All shows are available for download under the Pep Talk landing page on the AASA website. And looking ahead, if you have a show idea or guest you think we should have on, uh, shoot me a note at spadelsky at aasa.org. Our episode today, which you'll hear next, features Alex Mays, who is the Senior National Program Director for the Healthy Schools Campaign. The Healthy Schools Campaign, or HSC, has been a great partner to AASA and our members for many years, and I'm really thrilled that Alex could join us. HSC works to ensure that schools can provide students with healthy environments, nutritious food, health services, and opportunities for physical activity. And their unique approach connects their work for systems change on a national, state, and local level by connecting directly with school districts across the country. HSC engages school stakeholders, including students, parents, teachers, principals, and of course, superintendents, to provide them with the knowledge and skills to make changes for health and wellness at the school and district level and to have a voice at the state and national level. For example, I first heard about HSC when they did their Cooking Up Change uh, work, which engaged thousands of student chefs in cities across the country to develop healthy school meals based on the Healthy Hunger Free School Kids Act legislation that was passed that kids actually would like to eat. Uh, and student chefs traveled to D.C. to meet with elected officials and national leaders which put student voice in the front and center in the national dialogue about school food. And during ESSA reauthorization, HSC advocated for data about chronic absenteeism to be included on the state report cards, and now they're working with states and districts to enact policies that address the health-related reasons that students miss school. And we'll get into that a little bit more later. But I've really come uh, to trust HSC as an organization that has significant expertise and school-based Medicaid, and that's what I'm really excited to have Alex talk to you about today. But first, a little bit about Alex. Alex is, again, the Senior National Policy Director for HSC, and her job is to develop, track, and support national and state policies related to school food, physical activity, school health services, and environmental health. So it's a lot of different issues. But a big part of her work is collaborating with AASA and many, many other national education and healthcare organizations across the country to really support these policies. And when I have questions about school-based Medicaid, I know I can always pick up the phone and call Alex, and she's sure to have some great insight about how some Medicaid issue is playing out in districts and states these days. So Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. And uh, my first question for you is uh, about significant disparities that we know exist in access to school health services. This is an issue that's just becoming increasingly acute for our school superintendents. And I want to know how, how you do in, in the work that HSC is, is doing. Um, how do you try to address these health disparities in terms of federal policy? Great. Thank you so much, Sasha. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to participate on today's podcast. ASA has just been a tremendous partner, and we so value our work with the organization. I'm so excited to be here today. Um, with regards to your question, so it's certainly, um, you know, we see the disparities that exist in access to school health services as 
one of the, the primary factors that's really driving Healthy Schools Campaign's work on school health services. Schools are just such an important place to be delivering health services to students and particularly our nation's most vulnerable students, so certainly low-income students and students of color. And all the research really just supports that this is a smart investment. We know that school health services keep kids in school and in their seats so that they can learn. And then we also know that these services are really helping kids stay healthy and out of the emergency room. So there's a lot of benefits on the health sector side as well. And so, you know, the main way that we're actually currently working to really address the issue of the disparities that we see is, is by tackling funding for school health services. So really getting into trying to understand, you know, how can we bring in more resources to support the delivery of these services in schools and recognizing that education budgets are, are tight and that we need to be thinking about ways in which we can draw down um, additional funding that isn't necessarily education funding to be supporting this work. Because unfortunately, school health services really primarily are funded right now by education dollars. And we don't want superintendents to be faced with that decision of cutting teaching positions versus cutting school nursing positions or other school health providers. And so honestly, we, we feel like healthcare needs to have more skin in the game um, in order to really address this and address the disparities that exist in these access to services. Again, as I said earlier, you know, just investing in school health services is, is smart for healthcare. We know that it's a highly effective and affordable way to reach children and to address a wide range of health issues, both physical and mental health needs. And so what Healthy Schools Campaign has really been digging in on is um, what I think is a very exciting opportunity. I definitely, that's with wearing my policy wonk hat, but there's a very particular opportunity that we've been working on to change the way school health services are funded, which is really what I have been focusing on for uh, most of my time for the last five or so years. And, and that opportunity is specifically around leveraging Medicaid funding to pay for school health services. Just as kind of a quick grounding, Medicaid is a national insurance program that provides coverage to 40% of kids across the U.S. So it's a huge program and it's a very affordable way to ensure that individuals get the care that they need. And for the 30, last 30 years or so, um, Medicaid really does and has paid for eligible school health services and has played a key role in funding health services that are delivered in schools. So if you're a superintendent, you know, you might know that you have Medicaid funding coming into your district that is the direct result of um, billing Medicaid for a specific set of services. But unfortunately, school districts, because of a, a past policy, had only been able to bill Medicaid for school health services that were included in students' individualized education programs, or IEPs. But nationwide, only about 14% of kids have an IEP. And we know that schools can and are delivering many more health services to many more students. So we know what that means is that schools are delivering a lot of health services that they have not been able to build Medicaid for. But fortunately, actually at the end of 2014, this policy changed and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is the federal agency that oversees Medicaid, sent a letter to all states telling them that school districts could bill Medicaid for any eligible service that was delivered to a Medicaid enrolled student. 
and Healthy School Campaign, along with AASA and a lot of other national organizations, had been asking um, the federal agency to, to make this change for years. And so we saw this as a huge win and really see it as a, a significant chance to bring in more um, Medicaid resources to school districts. Where we are now, though, is that states have to make the decision to move forward with taking advantage of this opportunity. And they have to essentially grant this flexibility to school districts. And most need to do that by submitting a formal request to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Agency to make, change, make the change and then update their, update their guidance to school districts. So again, you know, it, 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 states have to make that decision to make the change, but we see it as um, just a tremendous opportunity to bring in more resources for uh, school health services and to really address those disparities that we see. And so at Health, Healthy Schools Campaign, our work has really been focused on helping states and school districts leverage this opportunity. Initially, states were a little slow to move forward and take advantage of this opportunity to bill Medicaid for services outside of those in a student's IEP. But momentum is really building, which I think is a, a large part driven by just in general, the increased attention around issues of school safety, the opioid epidemic, and just kind of this broader focus we're seeing around and recognition of the need to support student mental health and wellness. So there's now a handful of states that have moved forward with making this change. So if you happen to be in Louisiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, North Carolina, or South Carolina, um, those are the five states that have formally moved forward with this. And school districts in those states can bill Medicaid for more services. And then there's about a dozen or so states in the pipeline that are moving forward with it. So um, a lot of momentum building around that. And we're optimistic that in the next year or so, this is going to be an option for school districts, a lot more school districts to be getting Medicaid funding for the work that they're doing. And we really see it as, you know, once this is implemented, it, it could be millions more dollars coming into school districts to support the delivery of school health services. There's just in talking to some of the initial states that have implemented it, you know, they've seen Louisiana, for example, was actually able to, to triple their Medicaid revenue coming in from the federal government after making this change, which was really exciting to see. And we're seeing projections from other states just supporting the idea that this is a significant increase in funding for states and then subsequently school districts to support this work. And really then, you know, the hope being that then that money is, gets reinvested into delivering more services and addressing some of those disparities. And just kind of in terms of what we're talking about, you know, in terms of services and, and who the providers are with this change implemented, school districts could really bill for any eligible service that is delivered by an eligible school health provider. And so we're talking about, you know, services ranging from management of chronic diseases like asthma and diabetes to vision and hearing screenings and follow-up services to mental health services, speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy. It's really a wide range of services, many of which, again, we know um, districts already are delivering and they're just doing at their own cost. And so this is a chance for them to potentially get um, Medicaid reimbursement for those services that they're delivering. And then again, you know, if they are able to expand those services, a chance to bring in additional funding. So we certainly know that there's a lot of work to be done, but we see this as a, a key chance to really address some of those disparities that do exist in school health services, which is why we've really been digging in and trying to 
focus on this funding issue. Just to say that, you know, in addition to working on the funding piece, Healthy Schools Campaign has been doing a, a range of work on other issues that I think really kind of can play into addressing some of the disparities that we do see in terms of access to school health services. Just as one example, we're seeing a lot of increased attention and excitement around the delivery of school health services via telehealth. And it can, which is, can be a really excellent way of getting care to kids and also addressing challenges that we know are presented just by shortages in, in workforce and, you know, access to the providers that can be delivering care. So increasingly, we're seeing communities around the country establish partnerships to bring in telehealth services to school districts. South Carolina has a really great program that is statewide and is in a little over 80 school districts there, which is a partnership between their state and then a medical uh, university there that's supporting the delivery of telehealth. And so we see, you know, we love highlighting those innovative opportunities and kind of seeing ways and new strategies for really digging in and addressing those disparities and access to health services in addition to Medicaid funding. But certainly for folks that are, you know, interested in, in kind of trying to crack the funding piece, we are, you know, happy to dig in and, and discuss that more with you since we do see um, this change in policy as a tremendous opportunity. Great. Yeah. I mean, I like to think of it as instead of having education dollars paying for health care services for kids, we're having health care dollars come in to pay for health care services for kids. Um, and and that's really what, what makes this, you know, change in the free care rule so so positive for districts. We can we can start reallocating some of those education dollars back to, to the education that works that is our primary mission. And we have the supplemental health care dollars that can really be that used to, to deliver health care services and, and, um, and expand health care services for kids. When I think of you in particular and, and the, the, this issue of, of free care, though, I think of how there's been just tremendous personal leadership as well as organizational leadership in pulling states together and districts together to to do the hard work of, of actually figuring out how to take advantage of this opportunity that was presented to them in, in, with the change in 2014. Um, and the vehicle for that seems to be your promising, Healthy Students Promising Future Collaborative. And so I wanted to just get into you know, how you started it and, and what exactly is happening within the collaborative. Yeah, sure. We Healthy Schools Campaign, you know, I think we we were all very excited when this policy change happened in 2014 and then realized the work that everybody had cut out for them um, to move it forward. And as we started talking to states and school districts, what we just heard again and again was that there was an interest from, you know, key decision makers within school districts, within state education agencies and state Medicaid agencies, and just coming together and, and having a conversation about what this opportunity meant, as well as other opportunities, and, and how they could be strategically leveraged to really expand access to school health services. And Sasha, as you, um, you know, so, so thoughtfully put, and really looking at how to use Medicaid funding and, and non-education sources of funding to do this. And so that, you know, led us to really thinking about how we could um, provide that opportunity for states and school districts to come together um, and learn from one another in a safe space. It was also, you know, in addition to that Medicaid policy change, there was kind of this perfect convergence of opportunities that I think was catalyzing a lot of interest from states and school districts. We had the passage of the Every Student Succeeds Act, which includes, is a new education law, and just in general includes an increased focus around student health, 
the, you know, there were broader changes happening within the healthcare system from the Affordable Care Act and opportunities just in terms of investing more in, in the communities and health prevention and promotion. And then also, just as I said earlier, increased attention around mental health needs and the need to provide supports within communities to address what we were seeing as, as severe disparities in access to mental health care. And so, you know, that kind of those policy opportunities coupled with this need we were hearing of states wanting to come together led Healthy Schools Campaign. And then we have a, another partner named Trust for America's Health, which is a fantastic organization based in D.C., and so we came to the U.S. Departments of Education and Health and Human Services and, and asked if they would launch a learning collaborative to really provide this opportunity for peer-to-peer -peer learning. And so the, the federal agencies launched it. I think it was a really um, wonderful show of what the cross-sector collaboration that is needed at the state and local level to move this work and having the Departments of Education and Health and Human Services model that collaboration and come together and launch this learning collaborative. And so we, we launched Learning Collaborative a little over three years ago. It's, it's still going strong. After the change in administration, Healthy Schools Campaign and Trust for America's Health took over leadership of the effort. But we've really, you know, we've seen increased participation from states and I think just a really ongoing eagerness um, in continuing to have a space where states and school districts can come together and really dig in around how they can uh, expand access to Medicaid-funded school health services and then also more broadly, I think, you know, how they can create access to safe and supportive school environments. And every state that participates in the Learning Collaborative, they have to have representation from their state Medicaid agency, their state education agency, and at least two school districts. So right now we have 15 state teams, and so they include those representatives from state education, state Medicaid, and then school district. Many have a host of other partners involved, but we really see kind of that cross-sector, cross-level collaboration as the, the backbone of these teams and what we feel like is really needed to, to unpack where these opportunities are in the states and, and what needs to happen to move forward. I'll just run through the 15 states quickly, um, just so folks know if um, you know their state is currently in there. It's California, Colorado, District of Columbia, Illinois, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Michigan, Mississippi, Nebraska, Nevada, Ohio, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and Washington State. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more later about certainly if, if your state isn't in it, where there's still lots of opportunities to get involved. But for our learning collaborative, you know, the state teams come together for in-person meetings in D.C., and then they get a host of technical assistance and support in between those in-person meetings. And you know, the states are tackling a lot of different issues, ranging from certainly looking at how to leverage this opportunity around bringing in additional Medicaid funding to expand access to school health services, to how you set up the training programs, you know, at the state and district level to really implement strong school Medicaid programs, to how you do data sharing, um, to ensure coordination between health and education, to um, looking at best practices for addressing health-related of chronic absence. There's a whole range of, of issues that the group is really digging into, but um, it's just been a really fantastic way, I think, of, of building that cross-sector collaboration within these states. And I think the school district perspective has just been 
so incredibly valuable to have as a part of this this these teams. Um, we do have some school superintendents that are participating on the state teams, and then a number of the a number of the teams, the school district representatives, or the individuals that are running their district's Medicaid program. But I think it's just been incredibly powerful for the state representatives who are on these teams to be able to hear from the districts about what they need in terms of guidance and support from states and you know just have have that reality check honestly about um, what can be done and where there can be more supportive policies and programs put in place to really support the delivery of health services and to really draw down Medicaid funding to do that. So that's sort of the overview of where you know what the learning collaborative is and, and how it was started. Yeah, and it, it's been great that uh, I've had the opportunity to kind of sit in the back of the room and listen to these conversations or even sit at the table sometimes uh, it, with different states and, and hear how similar and, and, and sometimes how different their challenges are, you know, whether there are political challenges that they have to overcome or financial challenges that, that are in there or legislative challenges. I mean, there's it's interesting, and, and I think it's so useful to, to, to facilitate conversations between different actors in, in the state and, and local actors too, of course, uh, and, and have everyone get together in kind of a neutral location outside of their state uh, and, and, and have these kind of candid discussions, like what are the barriers that are really stopping us from expanding school-based Medicaid? It's just it's incredibly valuable, I feel like, to, to provide that opportunity. And in terms of you know what the collaborative has accomplished thus far, do you have a, a couple of things that come to mind? That you'd like to highlight? Yeah, sure. Can lift up a few highlights and, and certainly just to build on what you, you said I should have mentioned. I mean, we, in addition to the 15 state teams, there are um, over 20 national organizations that have been involved in this work and ASA just has been such a key partner in that. And just bringing the, the expertise that these national groups bring from their different stakeholders perspectives and, and being able then to also relay information back to to their, their members. So we, we really appreciate ASA's participation. And I would just say, you know, in terms of highlighting what has been accomplished thus far, you know, in part building kind of off of the, the engagement of the national partners, I think just as a whole, my favorite part of this work has been seeing just the collaborations that are happening, you know, within the states, between the states, with the national partners. I think we did not realize how eager people were for a, just a place to come together to have these conversations and just as you said sasha you know on on neutral territory when they could just think through what what do we want to move forward who are national partner groups we can connect with to help us move that work forward a lot of the folks that are on the state teams hadn't met in person before joining the learning collaborative and and they're working on you know the same program and so the chance for them to come together and just have, you know, two days to really dig in and, and share, you know, where the opportunities are from their perspectives has just been really fantastic to see. And then also just, you know, along those lines, seeing the, the state to state uh, partnerships build, I think, and, and also district to district. One of my favorite things we do at the meetings is something called We Have the Same Job, um, which is just a chance for the folks from state Medicaid agencies to sit in a room together, the folks from school districts to sit in the same room together from state education agencies and give them the, that space to just ask questions about, you know, what are the challenges you're running into? What are the opportunities? And I, you know, we've seen those connections be built and then um, certainly continued outside of the meetings. And that's been really exciting to see for us. 
And then just in, you know, to list up a few of the specific state successes that have happened recently, uh, Michigan is one of our states and they've just done an amazing job of, of leveraging the, the opportunity that I described earlier to expand their school Medicaid program. They actually passed state legislation at the end of last year, which set aside um, $31 million to provide licensed behavioral health providers in schools for general education students. So they really saw that there was tremendous need among their general education students for um, mental health services and that there weren't enough providers. And so the state set aside this money to bring in those licensed providers to be delivering those services. And then the legislation that, that set aside that funding also um, required the state to formally pursue the change that was needed in their um, state Medicaid plan to expand their school Medicaid program. And they just got approval last month, which is really exciting. And so that means that starting in October, our Michigan team is going to be working to roll out an expansion statewide that will allow all school districts to bill Medicaid for any Medicaid eligible service. And so that means that school nurses, school psychologists, social workers, and other school health, health professionals will be able to get, um, you know, as they're delivering those services, their district will be able to bring in Medicaid reimbursement for the services that they're delivering, which we're excited to see how that rollout goes out and then be able to highlight lessons learned from Michigan for other states. And then Washington, D.C. is just another great example of a team that's made a lot of progress on a range of issues. Just to highlight an example of something that is, is different slightly than the Medicaid funding piece, D.C. has done a really wonderful job around data sharing. And um, so for any folks that are kind of interested in digging in and, and thinking about potential agreements that could be set up between, you know, health agencies and school districts and, and states, around sharing health and education data. DC set up this really fantastic agreement between a number of key agencies that um, enables them to share some key pieces of information, including insurance information and access to primary care providers and whatnot. And that's really helped them facilitate care coordination and identify the kids who are in the schools that might not be getting services that they need both in schools but then also outside of schools and really has enabled them i think to deploy their resources in a, a very effective way which has been exciting to see and then i'll just say you know in turn in addition to the progress we're seeing from state there's also been really active involvement from federal agencies so including centers for disease control and prevention and the department of education and centers for medicare and medicaid services and you know, I think we are really seeing, you know, this recognition from those agencies that schools can play a key role in supporting student health and wellness, and then also just, you know, more broadly of that critical connection between health and learning. And so there's been some guidance released recently, which really underscores that and, and emphasizes, you know, the role that school districts and states can play in supporting mental health and wellness specifically. So it's been nice to see that that involvement and show of support from the agencies for this work. That's awesome. That is really exciting. And I guess the last thing I wanted to touch on with you is a little bit outside of the Medicaid lane. I just wanted to know what other opportunities that HSC thinks are available for school districts 
in order to bring in these resources outside of, of course, the, you know, the work that's happening with free care and the potential for that, uh, that can be used to support student health? You know, it's a great question, and, and thanks for raising it. I mean, I think we're, we really feel like we are in, in an exciting time in, in terms of some of these opportunities, and I, I think, you know, one of the, the main ones that we really um, see for supporting this work and bringing additional resources is um, the passage of the Every Student Succeeds Act, which was passed at the end of 2015 and is the nation's new K-12 education law and, and replaced No Child Left Behind. And so the Every Student Succeeds Act, or we call it ESSA, lovingly, it just creates a lot more flexibility for states and school districts around education policies and programs and and as a whole includes a much stronger focus on the importance of supporting um, you know student health and and kind of more broadly the whole child and, and conditions of learning and so we feel like with that flexibility and, and that increased focus it creates some um, exciting opportunities for for states and then specifically for districts to be utilizing funding and, and thinking about um, how resources could be directed to really support that, that connection between health and learning. We saw um, with the, the, under the new law, 36 states and Washington DC included chronic absence in their state accountability system. And also all state school report cards are now required to include chronic absence. And so that we feel like is really important because um, we see chronic absence as a really good proxy measure for student health and a way um, to just get a kind of a temperature read on, you know, are there underlying health issues that could be impacting kids' ability to be in their seat and learning? And so, you know, the inclusion of chronic absence in those accountability systems and report cards under the new law has really created a chance, I think, just to, to change the discussion, some of the discussions that are happening around what are the programs that are needed to really dig in and, and you know, support student success. And then how can we think about why students are missing school, why they're chronically absent, and what role does health play in that? And so specifically under the new law, um, there's a new grant program actually that was created called the Student Support and Academic Enrichment Grant Program. And it does designate funding for school districts to improve student health and give districts, uh, states and districts, a lot of flexibility in terms of how that funding can be used. So I was actually just talking to a district in Tennessee the other week and they're using that new grant funding to support a range of health and wellness programs from they're actually using it to hire mental health providers. They've purchased a physical activity curriculum that they're starting to implement. And then they've also actually put in a new data system to help track why students are, are chronically absent and then to share that information with school staff, but also with the, the health professionals as well to really dig in and begin to think through how they can address some of those issues. So um, I think just as a whole, you know, we, we see the new education law as a way to, to think more broadly about how, um, how to support student health and wellness. And again, certainly recognizing that there is a tremendous amount on the plate of school districts and schools um, and limited funding, you know, I think we're, we're happy to see, you know, the student support and academic enrichment grant program and are, have been closely following just to see how districts are leveraging that funding to support that learning and health connection. 
And then just also there's, we've seen a lot of other opportunities in terms of other grant programs that are available for states and school districts to support this work, ranging from school climate grants from the U.S. Department of Education to specific grants around substance misuse and addiction from the the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So I would just say in general, you know, I think if to where you are looking for opportunities to really bring in funding and, and address, you know, student health and wellness, I would strongly encourage folks to, to connect with individuals within their state education agency who oversee school health and wellness, and just to better understand what those, um, you know, potential funding opportunities within your state are within your state. If you have any of those federal grants that you that could be utilized to support this work, and then also to kind of better understand, um, you know, if there are opportunities around the Every Student Succeeds Act that could be leveraged to support this work. Yeah, that's, that, there's a lot there. I mean, and that's what I think is so valuable about Healthy Schools Campaign and the work that you guys are doing. It's so comprehensive um, and just, you know, touch the local, state, and federal lens for, for everyone. And I, I think, unfortunately, we're about t- out of time here, uh, but I just want to say uh, we remain really thankful to know and work with you and to have HSC as one of our allies in supporting our schools and students. So thank you, Alex, for taking the time to talk with me today and hopefully piquing the curiosity of a lot of our members about the great work that Healthy Schools Campaign is doing and how they can be part of it. Uh, And to get more information about the collaborative, they can go to healthystudentspromisingfutures.org. And to learn more about the impactful work that Healthy Schools Campaign is doing in your state, you can go to healthyschoolscampaign.org. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you again, Alex, for your time. Thank you so much.